Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here. Just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly. That's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now, on with monkey tennis. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And this is the beauty of podcasting, the freedom of the medium. Gokumpa. Monkey tennis. Bring, bring. Fireworks. Dumbak about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me. Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey tennis. From the host house. Keep it down, love. Hi, gang, and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. If you need the lav, go now. There's a bucket in the corner. Nick Alder. I've been sick, and I want chicken. And Tom Stab. Big fresh gobs. <laughs> so, uh, welcome to the latest episode of Monkey Tennis, where we'll be cracking open Alan's time capsule. We're looking this week at episodes 10 and 11 of Alan's own Audible podcast, From the Oast House. Before we get cracking, if you're enjoying what you've heard from us over the last 100 plus episodes, then please do consider dropping us the price of a coffee at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis. Uh, you can donate £3 or 15 if you're feeling very generous and you want all of us and producer Jed to have a coffee each. Uh, the money goes towards 
making future episodes of Monkey Tennis and keeping this show on the road. Equally, if you've got any thoughts, comments or suggestions about our podcast or Alan's, get in touch on Instagram at Monkey Tennis Pod, Twitter at The Partridge Pod, Facebook.com slash The Partridge Pod, or you can email thepartridgepod at gmail.com. We also have a hotline where you can leave voice notes for a future episode 07923 But tips to all that, I'm sure we can work something out. It's time to open Alan's time capsule. Um, this is, I hope no one will disagree with me here, probably one of the most enjoyable episodes of the series uh, because it's packed with throwbacks to previous Partridge. And also quite a lot of revelations about, yeah. you know, mm. the, the Partridge family that we've kind of been speculating about for a long time. I think you, you find out quite a lot about what's been going on in the family history, more so than you've done with any of the other kind of Partridge outputs. Absolutely. And backstory is what I want from my Partridge content. <laughs> well, you are in luck, Adam, because we're about to talk for an hour about that backstory. Great. <laughs> that is the great thing, though, isn't it? Like, the, the more... The more Partridge content you get, the more fun you can have delving into the backstory. It just becomes richer and richer every every time there's something new. So we open in Audible, right? Yes, uh, with uh, someone crying at podcasts. So yeah, Alan is in um, Audible, he's in the toilets and he hears two men in the bathroom um, and he hears that uh, one of them has cried at a podcast, which because uh, the podcast was on dads and he's obviously a father. Um, so it stands to reason that could be an emotional kind of touching subject. Alan can't believe this. And so kind of bursts out and uh, quizzes them on it. And four subsequent visitors to the toilet <laughs> yep. to see if they've also <laughs> cried, which it turns out everyone's been crying at podcasts. I've just so... thought that reminds me, that reminds me a bit of um, when he's canvassing people about hand washing coming in and out of the toilets on this yeah. time. It's, it's like not, that, even, it? not even the first time he's conducted a survey yes. at the toilet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so quick question to the group have you ever cried at a podcast uh i think i might have shed a tear or something particularly Ooh. emotional i can't think what, i seem yeah, to remember I think so, actually i seem to remember crying listening to one of the this american life podcasts quite early on um but i can't remember specifically what it was about i think that's the only one i think for me it was listening to um the first adam buxton episode where he talked about his dad's death uh, because yeah, yeah, yeah. because was, he uh, was so emotional punch. talking about it yeah, and on a similar note, a question to the audience: uh, Has an episode of Monkey Tennis ever made you cry? <laughs> For good or bad reasons, please do get in touch through the usual channels. Um, so yeah, Alan is compiling a time capsule of himself. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. I and and I we'll, we'll kind of get into this, or maybe it's even worth a bit of a wrap up at the end. But I did think all of this episode was was kind of tinged with quite a lot of sadness because for all of Alan's failings you know the reason as to why he's he's having to pull together this time capsule is actually quite tragic to be fair to him um so I I thought the whole the whole episode had a kind of uh, a slightly uh, demure quality do you think do you you think the thrust of this episode then is that the audible meeting about people crying at podcasts has set Alan on a journey to try and make a podcast that will make people cry but then what's happened is he's actually almost tricked himself into making an episode that is genuinely quite moving yeah I I think that's quite a good summarization and I think the the emotive heft of it almost materializes by accident but yeah I think I think the setup for this episode is brilliant because Essentially, Alan thinks it's hilarious that people cry at podcasts. And there's a very key line at the top of this episode. He says, if people want to make podcasts designed to elicit tears, that's their lookout. It feels a bit cynical to me, a bit manipulative, not really my kind of thing. My podcast is just me doing things I'd be getting up to anyway. And then a couple of seconds later, anyway, today you join me in my loft as I attempt to compile a simple time capsule of memories and snapshots of my life for my grandchildren who I have never met. And And then the backing music comes in. Yes, exactly (laughs) that. So he's pulling 
on the emotive heartstrings anyway. But what I really love about that, like the way he lays out the reasoning for doing Nomad, it's like finding that excuse to go in the loft to find a box of his father's artifacts and his excuse to do that walk. So in Nomad, there, there's a bit when he writes... There will be those that doubt that I'd stretch my lips in the first place or don't believe a cut-out handle looks anything like a mouth. Um, those who think this all feels conveniently neat or a confused mess or a blatant attempt to drum up poignancy. To those people, I say, oh, are you calling me a liar? Um, so it's exactly the same thing. It's just he's he's basically thought of a way, how can I drum up some emotive poignancy by doing this? And it even starts in the loft again. That's where yes, he exactly. goes for, yeah, like, yeah. that's where he yeah. gets his cheek pathos from. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> So we learned that Alan has two grandchildren, uh, both Fernando's children, Jack four and Ruby three. Um, of course, Nanny Carol has met them. We know this from uh, from Nomad, where we get the revelation that uh, Alan is a granddad. And like Nick said at the beginning, yeah, actually very, very sad. The fact that Alan only really sees them over Instagram from a family friend. Mm. It's a 20 minute birthday video, isn't it? And Alan puts on his own party hat and pretends to be a clown like that. They're laughing at him. It's it's quite sad. That's deeply tragic, that bit as well, where he's having to pretend that he's in the video as a clown. I mean, being a clown anyway is a little bit odd, but the idea that you'd watch a 20-minute video of your grandchildren's party that you're not invited to, and then you project yourself into the video and dress yourself up as that clown was both tragic and slightly scary. (laughs) Um, And also a nice nod to previous uh, Partridge. He says that the nose he uses to dress as a clown is the one that he wore for Comic Relief in 99, which I believe is one of the years when he did some work for Comic Relief. Um, A couple of other little revelations. One is that uh, he says Denise is never going to produce children because it's just a lifestyle thing. Um, And also we learn, I believe, that Alan has a therapist, but chooses to frame it instead as a man I pay to chat to. I would say we've we've jumped ahead a little bit because there are a few other details that come at slightly before him uh, viewing the children's party from the perspective of a clown. Um, the fact that he says, when he's talking about the grandkids, he says, one's a lovely little fella, the other's a girl. I thought that's a great mirror to exactly how he talks about Fernando and Denise. Denise is always the afterthought. So the thing about Denise with it being a lifestyle, he says she lives in Hebden Bridge. Now, I don't know if you guys were aware of this. I wasn't aware of this until I did a bit of Googling. But basically, Hebden Bridge is known as the UK's lesbian capital. So, because I was a bit like, oh, lifestyle thing. Is that is that a veiled hint about her being a lesbian, perhaps? And with the Hebden Bridge edition, it very much definitely is. Where's that then? Is that mm. Manchester somewhere? Uh, it is in... West, West Yorkshire. And of course, further evidence of Alan's prejudice—the idea that uh, that her, the fact that her, well, firstly, calling the fact that she's gay a lifestyle thing is is offensive in yeah, and of itself. But also, it. yeah. but also, the assumption in 2020 that a gay woman couldn't have children is further evidence that Alan is kind yeah. of, you know, unintentionally behind the times. Um, also, I, I, when I was saying about the inventing the kind of premise to create the podcast for poignancy. I mean, he does actually address that head on, exactly like he does in Nomad. Literally, the line. Um, if that sounds suspiciously like the type of podcast you said you don't do, I say again, I was going to be doing this anyway, and I just so <laughs> happen to be recording it. That's um, very there's, key. There's a nice joke within a joke here. I guess it's the point I made earlier, but Alan's obviously pretending not to make a podcast that will make us cry, but mm. the details he keeps getting distracted by are the things that actually could. They could make, you know, they're, they're, they're the elements that do yeah. or could make you cry. I enjoyed the kind of uh, build as the final roll of the dice where he's asked uh, to meet um, Fernando on Father's Day. 
Um, also, because it coincides with the anniversary that um, he first met Carol, which mm. I think is new Carol detail. I don't think that we knew that that was kind of on Father's Day. Um, and then there's a nice little bit of bonus info where he includes a pack of sunflower seeds, which, uh, again, you know, it's it's quite a tragic plea from a father to a son. So I guess it's, you know, it's as we've discussed, it's his attempts to maybe literally and figuratively sow the seeds of emotion via sunflower seeds <laughs> yeah and, and i think you're right you, you definitely do start feeling quite sorry for the character when you add together all these things about learning about he's only up to date with what the family do via an instagram feed the fact that it's on father's day and the anniversary of him meeting carol you have all these things layered on top of each other to definitely build that emotive impact I'm also concerned about the qualifications that Alan's therapist has, because uh, firstly, <laughs> Alan, Alan's aversion to things like therapy and the fact he has to reframe it as a man I pay to chat to also leads me to believe that he wouldn't have hired a therapist that was good because he wouldn't want to have gone in for the kind of the, the, the phrasing that therapists use to describe themselves. So I think he maybe has just gone to someone who's not very qualified because the idea of this time capsule has come from his therapist and, and the therapist have recommended this as a way to close the door on the issue of his grandchildren. So it's almost like I can't imagine a therapist recommending that you just give up on ever seeing your grandkids again and that the answer is just to do a time capsule and bury it. That's the opposite of what a therapist would do. But then they, they, they did also advise that um, him watching 20 minute videos wasn't hugely healthy. So at least well, that, that's a better mm, bit of advice I feel to like, doing I, that. I feel like anyone picked off the street could tell you that, though. True. I don't think you need to be a qualified therapist. No, I, th- I guess this is the first time that there's been any admission of Alan seeing a therapist, right? That's, has that been layered in anywhere before? I don't think I've it got, has. I've got a feeling it has, maybe in Nomad, as a little throwaway line. I, I'm sure someone will correct us. They always do. <laughs> yep. <Yeah. laughs> in reference to your point, Adam, about um, therapists, it made me think of the um, approach that he takes with chiropodists in Nomad, which is to play them off against each other to essentially <laughs> drive down the price. And yeah. his barometer of quality is value. So I also reckon that that is probably what he's looking for in a counsellor it's not credentials it's value absolutely yes. yeah and, and it ties in nicely that you know a therapist to him is a man i pay to chat to in a similar way that you know probably quite serious depression was him being clinically fed up there's a, a bit of an update about the promise of the oast house becoming a true crime series mm-hmm. um i mean i i i think this is this is classic alan when we've been here before where he justifies um the kind of the promise of it being a true crime series and goes at length to give you the detail that would suggest that it definitely could have been a true crime podcast how he played it to a trusted friend who says that uh, it didn't work on any level um and so it's been um kind of essentially buried although crucially not deleted um i wondered who do we think the true uh, the the friend might be that he played it to or is that friend fictitious and uh, either he never did any of this uh, or he's just thought to himself this is rubbish i need to get rid of it surely it's daryl flench and his friend <laughs> flenchy <laughs> There's more justification from Alan that comes up next as well. He says it's not about me telling them I'm a broadcaster, it's me telling them I'm a grandfather, father, husband, estranged husband, writer, thinker, rambler, dancer, joker, not a midnight toker. And <laughs> did you guys spot that he, of course, says more more mangled lexicon here. He says, sorry, getting confused with the David Miller band. Of course, he means the Steve <laughs> Miller band. But Brilliant. that's something I definitely didn't spot on the first listen, but I did... Oh, I didn't notice yeah. that either. That's great. Yeah, there are, there are so many good jokes like that. But I, I think it's definitely, that's there's definitely a lot of re-listen value to this series for those sort of details. 
So Alan's advice is dump the doobie, bin the bifter, uh, pick up an anorak and take in Constable's Landscape. So basically get out and about um, in nature. Did enjoy that there was also a kind of another dig um, at affordable housing in the green belt, something that Alan is, you know, vehemently kind of opposed. Instead, he just says, well, why not just make buildings in the inner city taller? And at that point, they'll be able to see the countryside from the uh, considerable views that they'll have. Stay <laughs> in the city and go higher. Yeah. So at this point, um, Alan is convinced that one day, obviously, the family are going to have to come to the house because Alan will have died. And so that they're going to be keen to kind of uh, sell what's um, uh, of value and dump all the the cheap pine effectively. One thing uh, Fernando and Denise might not have considered... Um, is that when they go into the house, seldom will be in mourning at this point, which I also enjoyed because the idea that the dog is just left in the house to mourn Alan, <laughs> and also that how how soon is Alan expecting to die and how old is seldom? Obviously, things that we're not entirely clear on, but the timeline I found interesting. I also think that the chances of seldom mourning Alan are probably significantly lower than the chance of seldom eating Alan, <laughs> given enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so um, once once kind of they open uh, the front door of the house to go in and see what possessions he has, uh, Alan says that Seldom is basically going to just run and run into the woods where he'll find an oak tree um, where Alan once climbed as a child and there Seldom will rest with his master. And that's the oak tree that he climbed in Ipartridge, I believe. So that's probably another reference back to uh, the APU. I, I, I yes. assume so, yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, and uh, we also kind of get additional detail about how, whilst um, Fernando and his wife are kind of rummaging around Alan's personal possessions, uh, the grandchildren will be intrigued by the attic hatch. I'm not entirely sure how intrigued children, children actually will be with an attic hatch, especially if they're like basically toddlers. Um, but who knows? Uh, so Alan's obviously set up. What would you describe it as? Like a, like kind a treasure of, hunt, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess yeah. like some kind of treasure hunt that ultimately um, ends with some kind of video message from him on a sixty-inch Bravia TV, um, where they'll open the hatch, they'll go up. Alan's face will come on, and I've I've got the message that that uh, Alan will play to them. But I don't know if anyone either wanted to draw out key highlights or if there's anything particularly that you enjoy from it. I quite like the line, I will always watch over you if it's practical. Uh, I like the bit where um, he cuts it while he's sort of reading the bit or saying what would be what he will say on the on the TV. Uh, He says, oh, if you're the estate agent, if you see my son, no mention of reconciling with Denise, no mention of Denise whatsoever. It's just if you see my son. Yeah, Denise is always the afterthought whenever he talks about. Well, in this case, isn't she's not even a thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I also noted down. he apologizes for being a pretty crummy dad i think that the use of that phrase pretty crummy that seems to appear quite a lot in this gibbons era of alan it's quite a familiar part of his lexicon Mm. at this point so essentially this message um it's quite long but the vast majority of it is caveats or (laughs) explanations or notes to the estate agent there's almost very little detail um for the actual kind of grandkids what you do get right at the very end of the uh, message is right that's the admin over let you let me tell you about my favorite meal eggs (laughs) (laughs) i did not expect alan's favorite meal to be eggs or there he does kind of go and say eggs on but at that point the message is cut off (laughs) it just cuts out out. so i assume it's eggs on toast or something similar but yeah alan's favorite meal is eggs I'm not surprised by that because he's talked about having an egg medley in the past. (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm certainly not suggesting that he doesn't enjoy an egg. I'm just saying that as a rug pull of Alan's favourite meal is eggs. That just seems like um, an interesting choice. 
uh, as your favourite meal. I did wonder as well, does um, does Seldom really love eggs or has Seldom not had much choice in that matter? I think that's entirely true, but I also think that perhaps that's come back to bite Alan on the arse because now Alan doesn't get a look in as far as eggs are concerned because they're all required for <laughs> the absolutely massive amounts that Seldom eats, as we'll find out in a later episode. Uh, I, I had two quick bits before we move on to the time capsule itself. I don't know if anybody kind of had any thoughts on the bit when alan's doing talking about the imagined house clearing and talking about his own drawings and picture frames thought it was quite an interesting returning trope of his imagination always kind of lets him down and goes to the bleakest available option so he visualizes fernando and his wife binning alan's own drawings but just keeping the the picture frames so even in his imagination he can't allow himself to imagine that his artwork would hold any sentimental value to his family which i thought was quite consistent with what we know about alan's imagination and just another quick point on his age so he's hoping that he's got longer than 2020 to live so arguably he is aged 65 in 2020 uh, i think we've fact checked this across various apu sources his birthday should be the 2nd of april 1955 so you'd right. like to think that he, he's got a few years on him yet, but there is a weird age dispute which I think comes up later in this episode, possibly. Um, should we get into the items that are contained within uh, the time capsule? Let's do it. So it's basically a mix of items that are kind of personal to him or that just paint a picture of life in 2020. He also feels the need to include some uh, protein balls that by his own admission he doesn't like, so inexplicably they've been included. Um, he also uh, includes a copy of The Telegraph, The Express, The Mail and The Mail on Sunday. So a genuinely balanced perspective on <laughs> British journalism in 2020. <laughs> all all uh, sides. Yep, yeah. all sides. And uh, <laughs> he also uh, finds some bank statements. Uh, he just rummages through those and decides to put those in. Uh, and a shower head as well. I do kind of like that, again, sort of like the, the way he delivers it, where he's kind of like, yeah, I'll put it in, I'll put it in, I'll put it in. <laughs> it's preface, the bank statement thing is like, it gives a real sense of what life was like. So the bank <laughs> statement was that he would draw, he would draw £40 from a cash machine. <laughs> real deep insight into what pops must have been like. <laughs> I don't know about anybody else, but conversations around time capsules, for me, it just makes me think of Blue Peter. Then any, anybody else with me on this? Because Blue yeah. Peter used to quite yeah. regularly do time capsules. I think and Blue Peter and primary schools well, are yeah. responsible well. for maybe 95% of all time capsules. Yeah, I mean, as a concept, they're, they're kind of the ones keeping it alive. Um, and I think they did... So they did one... I think the one that I vaguely remember, they, so I, I did have to do a bit of Wikipedia searching on this, but they buried one in 1998 under the O2 or the Millennium Dome, as it was then, and it was accidentally dug up in 2017. <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't supposed to be unearthed until 2050, and they accidentally Brilliant. dug it up doing some building work, uh, 33 Brilliant. years early. Um, and yeah, so apparently in that time capsule, so they, I think they got viewers to suggest what should go in it, so that time capsule included rollerblade wheels, an asthma inhaler, Teletubby dolls, a France 98 World Cup football, a picture of a dove to symbolise peace in Northern Ireland, and a book by Roald Dahl. Fascinating. I mean, is, I is that better genu- or worse than Alan's time capsule? That tells, That's my you question. Nothing, that tells you nothing about like 1998 or 1999 or whatever. Genuinely just... a mixed bag, I would say. During the rummage for things to go in this time capsule, he finds some CNA pants, uh, which I thought was a nice throwback because he starts talking about vulcanised linings that don't perish. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, almost one of the most blatant uh, fan service bits of this episode, I guess, in terms of uh, vulcanised rubber rubber linings and uh, oh. Iron Man and Partridge. 
how, have we jumped ahead of the neighbour story, which was... Uh, oh, I'm, I'm jumping around all over the place here, yeah. Oh, okay. I, mean, I mean, also, before before the neighbour story, we discovered that uh, Rosa is hired by from Total Cleaning Solutions. Uh, I don't know if anyone else looked this up, but I did. It really exists, and it is in Norfolk, but there are no, ah. no reviews online, and the website is currently for sale from ray at dragonukgroup.com. So uh, <laughs> if anybody wants to pick that up, you could technically become Rosa's employer. <laughs> Um, I'm a big fan of the neighbour story because of uh, obviously Alan's sort of uh, leanings or suggestions that this podcast could become a true crime podcast. I thought maybe is this a kind of is this another sort of string to that bow where eventually it is going to maybe further down the line turn into a bit of a true crime thing. So Alan. Yeah. uh, yeah, So uh, Alan uh, spots his neighbour. Um, next door looking around looking a bit shifty he's got bing bags he's looking pale he's got a big wheelie bin uh he borrowed some trimmers from alan i think borrowed uh, alan's hedge trimmer yeah yeah and he's sort of like carrying around six or seven bags um and looking a bit suspicious now at this point did anyone think that this might actually turn into a narrative strand or did you think it was just (laughs) queuing up for a gag which it turns out (laughs) spoiler alert it is well, I quite enjoyed the way it does lead you that way because he, he keeps on adding these things. Oh, uh, he, I can't believe he's, you know, he's doing this, he's doing that. I've seen this weird behaviour. I haven't seen his wife. and, and That's yeah, a big wheelie bit. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. The punchline is that he says, oh, I haven't seen the wife in a while. Oh, there she is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so good. I had one more thing, I think, before we go back to what else is going into the time capsule that he... Um, he talks about playing with an airfix model of a Lancaster bomber in the summer of 65. Um, and obviously we know that Alan has form uh, with airfix models. So both yeah. in Nomad and I Partridge, we have the exact same uh, sentence about setting fire to an airfix Messerschmitt and putting it behind his bedroom door. So, well, putting it behind his father's bedroom door so he'd be intoxicated by the burning plastic. But it's at this point when he's... It's just after that, I think, doesn't he say about being... Yeah, later in this episode, he talks about being nearly 60. But obviously it just doesn't tally because he's talking there about making an airfix model in the summer of 65 which ties in with him being 10 doing that when he makes the episode is... talks about being 60 which would mean he was four or five what you're saying is we should fact check all of the gibbons writing before it's published i mean that's that's what we're doing episode by episode anyway yeah. <laughs> um is it time to move on to an apology to ross kemp um, yes, but just before that, I'd like to say also going in the time capsule, I believe, is a uh, trophy made for him by Corsaville Mouthwash uh, back when he used to use the, the uh, catchphrase for them, Big Fresh Gobs. <laughs> enjoy. And you also have a, a maroon shirt from 1973 yes, going in and as a well. shower head. <laughs> so, again, things that really do give an insight into, into <laughs> Alan's life for uh, uh, Jack and Ruby. So we do get um, a kind of lacklustre apology at this point for uh, Ross Kemp for suggesting he was overly muscled and they've made a, uh, pleased actually, to make a donation to the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Um, <laughs> is that a gag because Lance Armstrong is a, what, disgraced figure of sport? Or Absolutely, is that, is yes. that a joke? Yes, and I think this whole disclaimer read through gritted teeth is great because not only does it imply that Ross Kemp is litigious as all hell, but I think possibly for Steve Coogan, it also scratches a Rebecca Wade phone hacking itch of his because Ross Kemp used to be married to Rebecca Wade, who was oh, yeah. editor of, uh, about that. Uh, of of the newspaper in question. Excellent. Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I hadn't thought of that, to be honest. And the, um, the kind of gritted teeth thing is very much like when he uh, has to read the credits at the end of Nomad, isn't it? Yes, there's another example of that, and I'm trying to think what it is actually. But he's he's definitely done that kind of, you know, 
It's the Noel Edmonds thing, actually. It's Noel Edmonds on uh, Mid Morning Matters. Do you remember he has to, yes. he has to kind of read yes. uh, um, a kind of like glowing endorsement of all that. of yeah. of all of his kind of you know achievements? Um, yes. So yeah, he he has got form here. Well, he he sounds um, annoyed and bored in equal measure. Yeah, but crucially, he has to read it. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, it's time to go it's time to go back to twitter and alan is asking what you would put in a time capsule um so carl has um uh tweeted um and he he needs assurances that this will be airtight <laughs> but uh he's gonna put kirsty also in a time capsule because she's quite frankly unbearable is, yep. this, uh, is this a veiled message from coogan do we think uh i wouldn't be surprised and i can't disagree <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't really have any opinion on her, but um, Carl obviously, uh, and Alan obviously do. Um, Alan drops his phone down the hatch and at this point realises he's trapped because basically Rosa is no longer about. That's kind of what he his go-to in terms of shouting out for Rosa to help him. But no, no, she's not there. So Alan at this point is basically trapped uh, in the attic um, and starts panicking. Uh, he starts kind of weighing up his options. Um, and considers maybe doing a parachute rollout of the hatch, um, although he's clear on the theory, but thinks in in practice he's probably not going to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, he describes himself as just a granddad in the autumn of his years, trapped both mentally and physically. And yeah, as I say, he's 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 planning to jump, but he says he's nearly sixty. We know that that age doesn't quite check out. Um, but he did recently do the star jump to illustrate the program World in Action to somebody. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love the bit when he suggests that his knee would turn to dust like when you prod an old grey wasp's nest with a broom handle. <laughs> and there, so, and there, there are quite a few times when he gives a really specific example, which definitely means it's something that he's done recently. That's not like a universal phrase, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he starts contemplating potential sleeping options um, within the loft. Um, and it's at this point that we get a um, returning mention of the word draclia, which I'm sure most of us were uh, happy to hear. So that's not just a one-off. That's kind of confirmation that Alan just pronounces it draclia for whatever reason. We had a tweet on this uh, a couple of days ago from, I think it's pronounced Ragin 1982 So they wrote, hi guys, I've just had an idea. Does Alan think Dracula is the American pronunciation of Draclia as in nuclear, nuclear? Ah, does that make does that, am I, I'm, I'm struggling yeah. to get the pronunciations right but um, because she, she writes because we know about his dislike of American things I mean I think my response to that would be it could be that or it could be by this point the Gibbons are putting it in the scripts now just so they know that we'll have to spend time assessing something that probably has <laughs> no actual significant meaning it's just busy work for us isn't it really yeah. <laughs> um, so a car is pulling up um, and Alan uh, shouts hello some kids are getting out I must admit I didn't kind of um, see this coming but it's Jack and it's Ruby uh, although crucially not with Fernando apparently with a nanny which seems a bit odd um, a possibly a, a chink into um, Fernando's um, financial situation if he's just got a nanny out and about with him um, but yeah Alan and Alan kind of yells out um, it's Alan Partridge you say um, it's Alan Partridge colon granddad yes yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and <laughs> I did enjoy that one of the kids shouts out, aha! Yeah, I love that. <laughs> oh, I, I completely that was... missed that. Oh, yeah, go back and listen to that. It's really good. I'm, I saw someone mention on Twitter saying that there's one of the best aha uses in the Alan Partridge history. And after listening to it all the way through, I couldn't remember a single aha from it. it. It's, it's so I completely that. missed that. Yeah, definitely oh, so good. That. I, really I love good. as well, like, I think normally... If he's being greeted with an aha, he'd hate it. But because it's the grandkids, he's excited and he loves it. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go back and listen to that. Um, 
He's paranoid about people knowing where his spare key is, so that's been muted out, which, to be fair, if you know or you can work out from the instructions that you were talking about earlier, Adam, I can see where they might want to kind of mute that out. Um, But uh, essentially, the kids come to his rescue, so he's been saved by his own grandchildren, and they're off to climb a tree. And I think that pretty much wraps us up. I like that he's been so poignant about not meeting his own grandchildren, and then when they finally arrive, he's immediately irritated by them not listening to him properly. That was good fun. <laughs> yeah, and especially when you remind yourselves that they're three, what is it, three and four at this yeah. point, and he's going, listen, listen to me, because they're not listening <laughs> to his instructions about pulling up the ladder. Um, and so, yes, we're on to episode 11, Corporate Work. Uh, Alan says, thank you for listening, and please carry on listening. Um I love how excited he is about corporate work, especially as it's traditionally the work that no one enjoys, you know, and certainly in the world of comedy, you hear nothing but complaints about people having to do corporate gigs. And, you know, in terms of like creative arts and like having film to. production. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's no one's favourite work, is it? But it's Alan's favourite work. It's, yeah, exactly. It's a necessary evil for, I imagine, any kind of creative type because it is so lucratively paid. So <laughs> it's the project that helps you to buy that house or whatever it might do. Or, or helps you to, to fund you kind of doing a more kind of creative endeavour. But you're quite right. Alan's kind of flipped the narrative where for him, <laughs> that's the work that he enjoys, not any of his kind of creative outlets. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed that as well. Um, just, an, just an extension of what you just said, Nick. I always enjoy the uh, the, the, the story or anecdote that um, Danny Baker refers to where he lives in Blackheath as the house that Daz built. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Um, not to jump ahead too much, maybe, but I think this is, for me, comfortably the weakest episode of the series so far. I haven't got a huge mm. amount on this. It wasn't one that I got a lot of enjoyment from, a lot of laughs from. I don't know if anyone kind of agrees. I, I think I'd agree. I mean, it, it, it's a fun listen, and I think Alan immersed in the corporate world is very much what you'd expect from the character. So, it, it, you know, they're, 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 it's an enjoyable enough episode. But I think when it comes to something to kind of analyse and dig into, I don't think there's really much to it. It's all quite surface level. So thank you very much. We'll yeah, be back cheers. next week. <laughs> <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. (laughs) 
Alan is confused as to why you can get dressed up for Gay Pride but not Remembrance Sunday and we find out that Alan went to a Remembrance Sunday event or to the Cenotaph dressed as a giant poppy uh, yeah he thought the event could use some more levity uh, and he's since stopped doing charity work at this point doesn't he say he feels fizzy as well about more corporate work which is another kind of key word in the uh, Partridge lexicon in the Gibbons age Alan being fizzy and fizzing with uh, ideas Again, yes. Alan, Alan is very excited and enthusiastic about his corporate work, but is there an argument to say that the only reason that that is the case is because it's the only work that he can regularly <laughs> get? So therefore, if he's excited about it, then it kind of paints him in a, like, I'm, at, I'm successful because I'm doing what I love, um, as opposed to what we actually secretly know is that he just wants to be on the telly. I think yeah. that's partially true, but also as he's talking about the work he does for a new social media channel for a well-known Korean car brand, he says that he genuinely likes the people and unlike his TV, and charitable work he knows he's making a difference yeah i also enjoyed that he kind of says that it feels like you're part of a family which obviously we know that alan hasn't really had much of a family kind of um for the majority of his life so the fact that a corporate family is what he considers to be his family again is a slightly tragic statement and a damning indictment about the state of his relationship with his loved ones well uh, which he he sort of puts very faintly by saying my own children don't massively like me <laughs> and then um, i've got i've got a quote here that is entirely out of context but i just wrote it down because i enjoyed it where he just says anton de Beck has sprayed his pizzazz all over the seats yeah. well i was <laughs> gonna say this we've got to try and illustrate the power of celebrity uh gives three um examples uh does anyone have any uh, uh notes on on these I, I thought these were pretty good well i've just got that it's, it's anton de Beck and michael aspel saying that these figures get people into get people interested in mid-tier cars but that's kind of the only thing that I've so I, I think I've got the combination. So yeah, so the Anton de Beck is with a Vauxhall Astra. Uh, Michael Aspel is with a Ford Focus uh, next to it on a fold-up chair. And he, <laughs> I really like this bit. Another example involving Des Lynam in a van. So he doesn't yeah. <laughs> the full detail. A nondescript van, no yeah. no brand name required. Um, we find out though at this point that not every celebrity is interested in corporate work. Uh, Alan then goes on to reference Fiona Bruce, um, who, if you know you're stuck at her with a cocktail party, will give you chapter and verse about her public service agenda. However, at this point, Alan finds a copy of Cheshire Life magazine where she won't stop talking about is it Isley or Isley Garden Centre, yeah. um, which Alan has basically interpreted as some kind of paid-for promotion, when in actual fact it's a lifestyle piece where she's just given an example of how she likes to relax on the weekend. <laughs> um, yes, he says that, you know, uh, uh, to her and to some other people, corporate is a dirty word like fanny or piss. Um, <laughs> I also found out the other day that if you're a current, if you, if you present current affairs and news on TV, you're not allowed to be in a TV ad of any kind. And that's why you have to wait for people like Trevor McDonald to retire before they then pop up on anyone that any ad that will have them basically ah. <laughs> did not know yeah. um even though it's just a small line i did enjoy uh, alan calling uh, the managing director of morphe richards morphe <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> morphe oh. you didn't have to do this <laughs> my name isn't morphe <laughs> I, I guess the thing is what, what is quite good about this episode is kind of the the lampooning of the kind of corporate world and the corporate culture so you know mocking the celebrity endorsements of like just because you've got Des Lynam next to a van is going to make people interested in it. And I think also there's something to be said for the almost like the kind of targets they have in terms of Morphe Richards, um, Robert Dias, Ro home Robert base, Dias. shoe zone. It's kind of, you know, they do a very good job of like illustrating kind of like 
Britain, like Partridge's Britain or whatever. You know, this thing about mm. it's just, Richard's it's unre- kettles, yeah. kettles and toasters it's, available in red cream, silver black. Is there anything I've missed? Yeah, it's kind of unremarkable brands, yeah. unremarkable people. And I wouldn't say like, you know, mundane things that he's talking about. But like you say, it's a kind of a chink into what life in middle of the road corporate Britain is yeah, probably it's exactly like that. in yeah. some respects. Yeah. Does anyone want to give any insight as to what Doug McKenna, brand director for Robert Dias, uh, does? Uh, yes, he lifts morale by turning employee names into rude words. Uh, have you got, have the, you got list, the examples Adam? there? I, 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 I haven't got the list. No, please hit me with them if you've got them. I've got uh, it. So Grant Pope becomes Pant Grope, <laughs> Roger Hart becomes Roger Tard, and Alan Partridge is Anal Partridge. It's absolutely savage. And <laughs> <laughs> the extension to that line. But, but my God, it's a cracking way to get a team buzzing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, um, there's another example that comes from Brandon Greaves, sales manager for Homebase, uh, who basically makes people eat Cheerios from a dog bowl if they fail to make a sale. That sounds horrendous. You've got one, uh, one more captain of industry, Derek Eggers, who runs social media for Shoe Zone. Yeah, this is, I mean, this one is obviously so ludicrous and over the top that he'll only employ people that have done a gold uh, Duke of Edinburgh award. I, I looked at the, I looked at the, um, uh, entry requirements for doing uh, the Duke of Edinburgh Gold Award. I'm not going to read it out because it's massive, but one of them includes volunteering for 12 months. <laughs> so to even be considered to work <laughs> at Shoe Zone, you need to go away and do 12 months voluntary work. Has anyone uh, done Duke of Edinburgh? Like, I haven't. I don't really even know what it is, to be honest with you. I no. am bronze qualified. So what does that yeah, mean? They did Talk it at my school, it. but I didn't do it. Uh, it's and, and why only bronze, yeah. crucially? Six, six months on Twitter for Shoe Zone, was it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you basically, it, it, it's it's a kind of like, I guess... You do orienteering and stuff, don't you? Yeah, there's like kind of four different things around kind of, yeah, orienteering, volunteering. Um, God, I can't think what the other things were. But yeah, I had to like volunteer at the vets, which I loved. Um, apart from the night I saw a dog being put down. That's, that's still with me. Um, and then, yeah, uh, just out and about camping. It's basically um, pe- young people having a nice time and just kind of... Um, Is it basically you know, like being in themselves. Scouts or something? Yeah, it's basically an extension of the Scouts run by the Royal Family that's probably and... a racket for getting money out of people. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Nick but... Alder has said that, not the members of Monkey Tennis. The views and opinions of Nick Alder do not represent the views and opinions of Monkey Tennis. But Nick, why only bronze? Where did it go wrong? Well... <laughs> I can tell you, I mean, I'm not going to read out the gold requirements, but it gets increasingly demanding on your um, personal time. So, it's, um, okay, so it's not like you get graded on how you performed. It's like if you sign up for more commitment, you'll get a better, you'll get gold or silver or something. Well, do you yeah, have I mean, to pay? Yeah, you do have to pay. And so I would say this, it's kind of like Scientology. If you want to get gold, <laughs> if you want to get the top, yeah. you have to pay. Yeah. You know, Nick, you have to... Nick wasn't prepared to go clear, not even for a lucrative shoe zone position. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, I, I like that there's a sort of continuation of this kind of Middle England thing where he talks about uh, examples of people who inspire him and the list consists of Vanessa Feltz and Paddy McGuinness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Alan has been uh, back onto Twitter, um, which I wonder, I kind of feel like this going to Twitter thing, I wonder if it's just a bit of a, a literary device to kind of almost not bulk out the word count, but it's just, it's a nice way to kind of, you know, um, interject or, or provide a bit of like easy writing uh, mm. in terms of just making, you know, daft observations from the things that people say on Twitter. And I don't say that as a criticism, but it's just like, what do we do now? Or we can probably, we could probably go to a bit of, you know, Twitter humor now. I'd agree. I, I think it works 
in the real world writing level and also in the APU level that it's just it allows a bit of freedom to, to kind of go anywhere with what happens next. And actually, I think it's kind of surprising that for Alan, it kind of is a new regular feature. He does go to Twitter nearly every episode. Yeah. What I really enjoyed about him going to Twitter in this episode is there's a line he says some terrific thoughts coming in on that so he's treating Twitter responses a bit like it's a live radio phone in that's his default mode the way he mm. describes it like that yeah no I would agree um, are we on to his uh, great chat about variations of handshakes yes this is from Brian and Epsom who says there's uh, no way no better way than to impress a captain of industry than a firm handshake uh, and he basically says you need to grip the hand uh, and count to 10, although crucially don't count out loud uh, or just keep shaking the hand until the recipient has stopped smiling, <laughs> which I kind of enjoyed. <laughs> I like um, I like Alan's elaboration on how to end a handshake with a fan is to push them away with the other hand, which leaves them happy because you touch them with both hands. Yeah. Uh, there's a tweet from Red Star, which I kind of also enjoyed, which was, again, I wondered how much of this was maybe you know peppering in probably not just what coogan thinks but probably what a lot of people think in that big business can take a lot from society in general um and that we shouldn't necessarily kind of worship at the altar of uh what are kind of described as morally bankrupt multinationals um i don't know if that was kind of a bit of you know kind of capturing the kind of modern attitude towards big business is that also mm. a little bit of biting the hand that feeds you vis-a-vis uh, Audible slash Amazon there? Perhaps. <laughs> oh, well, no. <laughs> um, the other thing that I thought was quite interesting is that he says he describes it as a tweet, but the thing that he reads out, it must be a thousand characters long plus. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that as well. He basic, I mean, I guess it could be a thread, but, but yeah. you know, Alan doesn't distinguish oh, between a thread or a tweet. Or you know, a, you that's know. actually, that's a really good point. But the, in the uh, letters episode, the letter, the the tweet about the granddad letter. There's no way that could be a tweet because that's super long as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got a question to the group at this point. Does does Steve Coogan like Julian Fellows? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going go to go here. with not his biggest fan. Yeah. Um, so I, apparently... I don't really know much about Julian Fellows. So, like, is that kind of grounded in fact? Like, how how uh, embellished not, is that? I don't. Not really that know. I can see, but um, he Fellows has a bit of a reputation for being um, a bit of an ass, I think. But he, um, but obviously, he created Downton Abbey and also wrote um, Gosford Park as well, which won an Oscar. And I think he's kind of always been part of uh, loosely on the outskirts of like high society and the monarchy mm-hmm. and you know so he has two life ambitions to marry into the aristocracy and to be knighted now he has married into the aristocracy broadly but i couldn't see any reference to him being knighted so i don't oh, know interesting. if that's because he says that both of, he's achieved both of those things but mm. i couldn't see uh, looking at his wikipedia page that he actually has been knighted and I seem to remember that rumour about him uh, directing, like, in full, almost kind of riding gear to be... Oh, uh, really? And in Tweed. I did, I did read about that. Oh, but I see. Again, so that, that's not just a, a device for this episode. That is kind of like a, a rumour. Yeah. I, right. I don't think it's ever been proved, but I have, heard, I have heard references to what he was like on it, set. It's just so... Cu- the way that they, they word it, it's just so cutting, where in reference to the, the, the tweed, uh, Alan says, well, many think he should just be slapped across the face. I actually think it shows panache. Um, That's an Alan kind of, yes, Coogan no. 
yeah, yeah and absolutely just... having your cake and eating it uh, statement yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So I imagine he's written himself out of probably any future Julian Fellows productions. But it's probably, <laughs> I think he's probably, probably all right with that. Yeah, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I can't imagine that um, Coogan is much of a monarchist. Yeah, it's yeah. all right. As long as Michael Winterbottom will have it back, he's golden. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so has anyone got the two reasons that Alan would leave a corporate night out to a club? He doesn't want to go home, but he will if A, people start wearing ties around their heads, or B, there are three of you left and the other man and woman are necking. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, he's he's in it for the long haul. Oh, and of course, we didn't, I don't think we mentioned about um, that sometimes these corporate events move on after their evening drinks receptions, uh, where the warm white wine becomes Alan and three hardcore revelers in a Chinese restaurant doing Ali G impressions. (laughs) <laughs> that's a very nailed on image as well i thought and, and again yeah. it's kind of like it's saying about like daryl flinch and his mates in my mind it it's david brent and finchie it, it's that yeah. world it's yeah. the swindon yeah, lot and, and, all, yeah. and all that sort of thing yeah has anyone got any notes on alan's vocal warm-ups no no okay i enjoyed uh, this i'll, I'll... I'll cover it if no one else has it. So uh, he, he's doing some vocal warm-ups in the car on the way to the event, which he says he'll either do to uh, Paul Simon or the Lion ste- uh, Sleeps Tonight, at which point he starts singing the a wimble a wimble <laughs> But that gets seldom barking. Or I love that. At this, point, at this point, he's referenced as Seldy, which I did yes. enjoy. And yep. <laughs> also, you hear Alan call him Daddy. He's, Seldy, it's Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also a bit of a weird throwaway line that he won't sing along to the Lion King because he knows the musical set designer and he never shuts up about it (laughs) that seems so specific seems so specific I wonder if it's almost either rooted in some kind of real life experience or there's a joke there that's gone over my head well there's definitely the the element of like that's the sort of petty behaviour you'd expect from Alan so if somebody's proud of the work they've done he's not going to help share in that pride Mm -hmm. yeah that's a good point um so Alan has returned home early from the corporate event um, and has avoided the drinks reception. Did anyone pick up? I, I swear he said bottles. I don't know if anyone else heard or clocked that, but I think, again, in terms of mangled uh, English, I definitely heard bottles of Beck's. Yes. Yeah, I think he's, he sort of slips into Americanisms quite a bit, and there was a little bit of that in the Letters episode as well. Yeah, yeah and, and yeah. There's, a, there's a lot more to come in the next episode yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> so um, why, why has Alan left the event early? Um, well, presumably because there were three of them left and the other man and woman were necking or people started to wear ties around their heads. No? Uh, yeah. no isn't, isn't this... He thinks that High Noon was there. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. You... Fairly certain he was at the event. Yeah. Um, so Alan is doing a, a Q&A um, kind of Twitter read-along with the CEO, so asking kind of questions. And at this point, a Twitter message comes up from High Noon that says, nice trousers, which obviously <laughs> sends Alan into an absolute panic at this point. Um, and basically, he, he goes in, he goes into a meltdown because Alan basically always will wear trousers to um, a corporate <laughs> event, which means that basically High Noon probably isn't there because he's just guessing that he's wearing trousers. Apart from a time that he did a corporate Vodafone where he wore a uh, kilt because he was pretending to be a Scottish skinflint. Um, I I like the consequence of him coming home early is that he's going to make Rosa walk home at night with a torch Uh, it's it's 8.15 and he's packed her off into the night oh and also I think don't don't you get just as you hear the door slam you hear Rosa kind of react like what like she's a bit shocked that she's being sent packing with a torch I think 
So uh, Alan discovers that High Noon wasn't there, um, but Alan believes that he sabotaged his brain. Um, and he's also, he's, le- he's been taken out early by the CFO. And at this point, Alan's been sick on a jag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, have, I just have a quote as my final no- note from this episode. Hello, I've been sick and I want chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I think the follow-up quote to that is also brilliant, where they say, oh, what do you want? And he just says, a bucket of breaded battery bits. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, and um, again, this is a kind of a, a familiar joke, but Alan also has to kind of scrub his hands because <laughs> seldom will, and this is just such a perfect word, be in a mood if he finds out that Alan's gone yeah. to KFC. <laughs> the idea that Alan can interpret his mood in reference to him going to KFC, I think, is lovely. Um, and, then so, Alan, yeah. and then Alan says, right then, bye, and end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I agree this is quite a slight episode in terms of not much happens, but if you summarise it... <laughs> briefly he effectively talks about how much he loves corporate work but then left a corporate event because somebody tweeted nice trousers <laughs> that's, it. that's literally that's the summary of this half an hour or 20 minute episode i think it's kind of sweet at the end because he's like he wraps it up so quickly because he just wants to be with seldom because he's feeling a bit off kilter that's quite nice like mm-hmm. there actually True. is a bond there uh, a couple of other bits he says his mind was spinning like a ford escort doing donuts so at this point not like trainers going around at a washing machine which I was uh, surprised not to hear that, but I think that does appear in a few episodes' time. Um, to be fair to him as well, I actually think he did make one quite good joke at this corporate event where he says, sorry, I didn't know what I was talking about then. You must have thought I was the head of R&D for Nissan. I thought, to be fair to him, that joke at that car launch probably would have absolutely killed. And it brought the house down, yeah, as exactly. Alan says. <laughs> Um, yes, so that's the end of that episode of Oast House and the end of this episode of Monkey Tennis. Uh, we'll be back next week taking a deep breath of the clean air of LA. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us in the meantime, we're on Instagram at Monkey Tennis Pod, on Twitter at The Partridge Pod, Facebook.com slash The Partridge Pod, email us at thepartridgepod at gmail.com, or if you'd like to leave a voice note, uh, send it via WhatsApp and it might end up in a future episode. Call the Monkey Tennis hotline on 07923 If you've been enjoying what you've heard from us, then please do give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider or even go as far as dropping us the price of a coffee at ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis in the meantime thanks for listening and from all of us at Monkey Tennis the Alan Partridge fan podcast thanks and goodbye thank you for listening and please carry on listening and this is the beauty of podcasting the freedom of the medium monkey tennis bring bring Fireworks. Don't muck about. Trees are my pawn. Monkey tennis. Ready, steady, fuck off. Scratch me! Are you being served? Monkey tennis. Excuse me, your dog's taken my dog's stick. With a chuckle, with a chuckle. Monkey tennis. Yep, absolutely. Yep, 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 absolutely. Generally, I think new ideas are bad. Monkey tennis. Why not consider chips? You must come and stay in the barn. Fuck off. Riddle me that, you nutters. Nothing refreshes like an ice-cold glass of milk. Nah. Monkey Tennis from the Oast House. Keep it down, love. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.